Welcome to Top 5, a show where we get drawn on a cell, we get animated 24 times a second, and then, uh, depending on how the budget is at your studio, you may just get a giant hose sprayed on you. <laughs> this is Top 5. I'm animated 27 frames per second. Actually, you know, and a lot of a lot of times when we look at it, there's a lot of ways you can animate. You can animate at 24 frames a second, which is pretty typical for your yeah. major motion pictures. But for... Um, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons, you're, you're being animated on the twelves or less. So in some cases you are being animated six frames a second. That happens. And since I am animated by the cheap Korean animation studio that did the episodes <laughs> of transformers that you didn't like in 1986. Yeah. Sometimes I change color. Well, and that and the, happens. And in all of your close-ups, it's really creepy because they were so cheap. They could only draw your face once and then they cut it out the mouth and you just have your lips in there going, hello, they did not clutch cargo me. Thank you very much. We are I was the- not clutch cargo. This is a lie. This week we are talking our top five cartoon characters and mine actually, my number five, Matthew actually mm-hmm. had a change at the last minute because you said, or actually inadvertently, I said something about challenge of the super friends, which I know was not the first season of the super friends. It's like the fourth Yeah, but as a very young child, and so I was, this was under the age of five, so this would be like 73, 74, probably first season of of Super Friends. I remember going down on Saturday mornings and turning on the TV and waiting for the black and white TV to to warm up. And I remember seeing Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then there was this beauty. Oh, she was super smart. She was sassy. She had a story stupid brother and a dog. And I was just like, she may have been my first cartoon crush. Wendy, Wendy and Marvin, the original wonder twins <laughs> from the super friends. Wendy, one of my favorite cartoon characters, just that, you know, she's a smart one, but she still gets in trouble and she serves as the gateway for the young kids to, uh, to get into, uh, get into the super friends. She's drawn as 15, but has the voice of a 50 year old woman. <laughs> yes. Who was that? June, uh, was it wasn't uh, the same person that oh, did God. that did the voice of the squirrel? Was it? No, June foray. No. Was it June foray? It was not June foray. <laughs> I can't remember who did. I was actually looking this up today because I was trying to find out their last names. Marvin's last name was White, yeah. reputedly, mm-hmm. uh, according to the uh, the uh, wiki that was established in the Super Sherry, Friends comic book, and not the Sherry Alberoni. Sherry Alberoni used to be one of the original Mouseketeers voiced Wendy. Matthew, You're, that you is my number first. five. That's my number five, Matthew. Who do you have as your number five cartoon character? My number five is likewise a huge crush of mine, but a much more recent crush, uh, something that uh, has really developed only in my 40s. Initially, when we met her, she was a probably ineffectual human resources manager. And obviously she was bad at this because she would use the information that she ran into and actually speak of it to other employees, which is always bad. And she had this dolphin hand puppet that she would use for HR mediations to try and make things clear because it's a dolphin. Um, but then we discovered that there's a lot more to Pam Poovey the HR director of uh, the spy agency ISIS from Archer, 
than it seems. Um, for instance, she is apparently a brilliant fighter, a street racer uh, known to the other racers as uh, I, I believe that they called her the white. Well, she thought it was white shadow. It turns out they were actually calling her the white pumpkin. Um, she actually nearly beat several people to death just because she could. And in the latest season of Archer, Archer Dreamland, which is this weird story taking place in 1947 Los Angeles, like in a noir movie. Yeah, it looks really good. She's actually a cop in L.A. And she's basically playing the uh, the Russell Crowe character from L.A. Confidential. Oh, cool. Was that Russell Crowe? I mean, he was a he was a cop. He was a detective. He was one of the corrupter detectives. Was he the big, angry, corrupt one who killed Uh people? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's basically playing that. And at one point. She she's squaring off against five guys and she's like, keep in mind, I'm going to get more tired, but also more berserker. (laughs) The fact that she has just this, there's a joy to Pam. She grew up on a, a farm, a dairy farm, and she has this love of everything and everyone. She slept with nearly everyone in the agency, uh, male and female. She actually accidentally slept with Archer's mom. Which that's that's a thing. Spoilers, by the way, for later seasons of Archer. And there's actually a running gag in uh, the Archer Vice season where she gets addicted to cocaine and has lost a lot of weight. And she says something to Archer about how she feels like he likes her better now that she's lost weight. And they actually take time in Archer, which is not a series necessarily known for this, to stop and tell Pam that she's okay, that they love her regardless of whether she's thin or heavy. And I'm just like, oh, you guys, that's so sweet in the middle of a season about, you know, selling cocaine to people illegally and drug addiction and terrible, terrible things. There's just something about her where you're just like, yeah, if Pam Poovy existed in real life, I would regret it, but I'd totally date her. All right. And that's that's why she is my number five. All right. We are down to our number fours. Uh, earlier in the program, Matthew, I mentioned that, uh, you know, movies would be at uh, 24 frames a second, different frame rates, the, the cheaper down you go. Right. The first time I ever encountered this character in animated form, I was simply blown away because of how smooth the motion was. And this character could fly through the air and he could beat up robots and he could do all these wondrous, amazing things. And it was just beautiful, beautiful animation. Now, while later animated shows would be inspired by this, uh, this show, if I'm, if I'm narrowing this down to top five cartoon characters, I have to say that the Fleischer Supermans. Yes. Are brilliant. And even though I love Superman, the animated series, even though I love uh, Justice League Unlimited and so on. Yeah, I love Fleischer Superman, the Fleischer Supermans. And, and they, they did that by rotoscoping. They would actually have uh, Max Fleischer's um, uh, brother would actually pose and jump and do all of these things. And they would film him in the cape and everything. And then they would go and they would trace over the the film that they drew and create the first they introduced rotoscoping second they really understood the human motion from that and mm-hmm. uh the superman fleischer cartoons while extremely racist in many places yeah uh, which is unfortunate product of its time it is still beautiful and fleischer superman is definitely my number four 
in my top yes. five cartoon characters. I remember those being available on VHS in high school and just trying to buy them all and being irritated that some of them were on every set. Well, here's the, some of them you'd be like jumping around going, I can't find the one. I can't find the robots. Yeah. And here's the, the robots one is pretty easy to find. It's like the, the ones where he's beating up the Japanese and it's uh, uh, pretty racist when he gets into those. Those are a little bit harder to find, but the thing is, there's a weird thing about copyright that a lot of things in the 1930s kind of fell through this ca- copyright gap. And there's actually some very interesting Mickey Mouse um, strips that have fallen into public domain because of copyright and non-renewal of copyright. The Fleischer right. Superman stuff at one point was out of copyright and in the public domain. I'm guessing it's still in the public domain, which means that anybody can market and sell these things. So, yeah, right. you can go to a truck stop. And you can find VHS or DVD uh, versions of Superman, the Fleischer uh, animated series. You can even go on YouTube and it's all there and it's totally legal because it's in the public domain. And if you get a chance, go and track them down. Superman versus the Metal Monsters, I believe is what it's called, Mm -hmm. is beautiful. It's fantastic. You will look at it and marvel how almost 100 years ago, 90 years ago, that they were doing animation in this in this high quality style. And then you look at stuff today and you're like, oh. Uh, okay, Gumball. Be nice to Gumball. Gumball is amazing. <laughs> it's in a lot of ways. Gumball is the one that's all mixed media, right? Yes. Gumball. It annoys me, but you have to look at that and go, man, they're putting a lot of effort into weird stuff that I wouldn't put effort into. Now, speaking of high quality animation, yeah, my number four didn't have it. Oh, I'm sorry. But what it did have. Uh, were, I think, three things going for it. One, brilliant design work. Um, Just amazing design work by a legendary artist named Alex Toth. Mm -hmm. It had an amazing cast, a voice cast and solid music. The audio was just amazing. And it had one of the best, uh, I don't know if you can even call it a catchphrase, Because it's not so much a catchphrase when it's just the hero flying at you, screaming his name. Space Ghost! 1966. It's a Hanna-Barbera joint. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't hold that against it. Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, Hanna-Barbera in 66 is... It's not Hanna-Barbera from 57, but it's not Hanna-Barbera from 75. And I think that it's that middle ground, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, where Space Ghost is this mysterious hero who flies around with these two teenage kids and a monkey. He's got this killer spaceship called the Phantom Cruiser. He's got one of the best, the deepest voice ever. Jace, get away from there before it explodes. Mm -hmm. My Gary Owens is terrible. The late Gary Owens, however, is amazing. Um, I'm not saying better than Frank Welker, but I'm saying that in this case, he gave Frank a run for his money. An amazing design. Some of the the plots felt maybe like we were repeating themselves, but even then there was a cleverness and there was kind of an ingenuity to Space Ghost that you didn't always see in the 60s adventure cartoons. Mm-hmm. And if you look at things that came after, if you look at like... Uh, oh, the Spider-Man uh, animated series. Spider-Man right, you look at the mighty Mitor even. Yeah. Mitor and Birdman, both, you know, an attempt to catch that space ghost uh, lightning in a different bottle. Not as much fun, 
But, you know, what are you going to do? No, then you uh, get, seriously. You know, Frankenstein Jr. in the Impossibles. Yeah. Uh, no uh, Space Ghost falls in between the awesome Johnny Quest animated style and yes. the, as you said, the Harvey Birdman stuff. I don't even mind the Harvey Birdman stuff. I enjoy the fact that they put Space Ghost in and said, now he's a talk show host. Okay. <laughs> and everybody yeah. just went, yeah, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I like him better as a serious superhero in space. But I don't like him too serious. The 2006 Space Ghost uh, limited series was all like death, Batman, death, death and Batman. <laughs> oh, he's Batman, death in space. But yeah, one of the, the greatest moments in my life came in Batman, the brave and the bold, where Batman's flying along on his bat wing. And all of a sudden, Space Ghost comes up and they're flying together. And it's Batman and Space Ghost. And Space Ghost is like, hello, Batman. And Batman's like. Hello, I'm Oswald from the Drew Carey show. <laughs> and Space Ghost goes, yes, I know. And then they they have this, you know, it, it was one of those just four minute adventures before the opening credits. And I'm still like, ooh, goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Line number four, Space Ghost, one of the best of the 60s Hanna-Barbera action tunes. Save for Wendy and Marvin. I think people are going to start recognizing a trend here in mine. Because uh -oh. my number three also comes from Fleischer Studios. And it's black and white, and it's something that I cherished as a kid because you knew that it was time for Popeye to begin when you heard, and you would see this little uh, ship door open up, and it would say, you know, uh, Fleischer mm. Studios presents, and the things would close and make a noise, and then it would that, open that, back up, and it would yeah. say Popeye the Sailor Man, and then it would close back up, and then it would open up and tell you the title of that piece. Alibaba and, and the 40 Thieves. Oh, my goodness. Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Again, the, if you really look at the Fleischer Studios and the groundbreaking things that they were doing at the time, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves version is fantastic because they were creating these sets that were actually on a turntable. So, like, mm -hmm. they could animate the characters walking and then the, the turntable would turn behind as like a like a lazy Susan almost. And so they could have the characters continually walk and the background would just cycle through. And it was super fascinating. They also got really cool parallax. So even before Disney started doing his multiplane camera, uh, you could get some parallax effects going on in, in that 40 Thieves um, um, movie. But uh, Popeye the Sailor Man, the black and white stuff was, and again, depending on where you find it, the stuff you and I grew up watching in the reruns, Matthew, in the 70s on 41 mm. or whatever channel it was, those were highly edited. But you watch the Popeye the Sailor Man unedited and you get some 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 uh, salty chatter from Popeye. You get yeah. some stuff sometimes where Betty Boop shows up. In fact, Popeye first appeared in a Betty Boop uh, cartoon where Betty yeah, Boop's running around topless. That one's nuts. Yeah. And so Popeye the Sailor Man, that one. this is again before the eighties revival, before the nineties revival, before the more modern, I'm talking about classic black before and white Before he Popeye. had nephews, before he yes, had the Jeep. Children. Well, I think the Jeep showed up in the black and white stuff. Uh, yes, but definitely before he had, and... before he had, before he had nephews, before the color stuff came around, I'm, and I think the uh, 40 Thieves was one of the first color Popeye movies, but before the, the cleaned up pretty looking Popeye, the Fleischer Popeye stuff is fantastic. And Popeye and Olive Oil and Brutus and the Sea Hag and the Jeep and all that stuff, the goon, Alice, the goon, uh, definitely uh, Popeye and friends fall into my favorite cartoon characters category and deserve a, a strong placing at number three. Yeah, those are pretty amazing. They actually at certain points and I can't remember which one it is. They had 
they had stuff in front of the animation cell. Yeah. That's that multiplane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where Popeye was actually passing behind things in the Mm -hmm. foreground. And I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. It's really cool. At one point, I don't, I don't know how I got my hands on it, but somewhere in the third or fourth grade, I got my hands on like two or three reels of black and white eight millimeter Popeye cartoons. Oh, wow. And we had an eight millimeter projector, but that thing was noisy. And even though my mom and dad would, were allowed me to um, run it, I had to be super careful because, you know, if the film got caught, the stuff would melt and heat up and catch fire very would easily. Catch fire, burn down the house. And I thought it was so cool that I could build my own like kinetoscope. At least I thought I could. I, I couldn't because I didn't understand how it truly worked. But I built this box and I took an eyepiece off my telescope and I had it focused down onto an individual frame of the film. And I had a light bulb underneath and I could look through it and I had a crank on the side where I would turn the reel. And of course, because it didn't have a catch and I didn't have a shutter, which I didn't know about the shutter, uh, you know, it's just a blurry mess. But I was I was really fascinated about animation at that early age. Thanks to those black and white Popeye reels that I had. And I'm, I'm sure they're long gone by now. But yeah, uh, always, man, always a film nerd. Popeye the Sailor Man. Yep. And then, of course, the Fleischer brothers would animate. They would uh, punctuate each thing with those doors closing. Yeah, yeah, Kukunk. yeah. It was great. I loved it. What do you have for awesome. your number three? My number three. Number three. Number three. Are we at number three? Holy we moly, are at number three already. My number three is actually from a relatively modern show that. I did not find out about until after it had already been canceled. Uh, apparently, Animaniacs. No, apparently, before the WB went under, the WB put some money into a really well done animated sitcom called Mission Hill. And Mission Hill is the story of this slacker jerk who is forced to take in his teenage genius brother because their parents are retiring oh, right, and right, moving right. away. Yeah. And basically, it's this kid who's in his 20s. He's kind of a proto-hipster because this was like 2001. And he lives in a very trendy portion of the city. And he's trying to be one of the cool guys. And, of course, he has to be kind of a stand-in parent for his brother, who is absolutely not. But what's fascinating to me is the main character, Andy, is kind of a quintessential screw-up. That, you know, slacker jerk, almost a caricature of the slacker jerk. But his best friend is a man named Jim. My number three, Jim Kubak from 2001's Mission Hill for two reasons. One, Jim is voiced by Brian Posehn. So he's always good for the, hey, how's it going? And throughout the, you know, several first several episodes, you get this thought that Jim's even more screwed up than Andy. Jim's even less driven. But then it starts to come clear when Andy loses his job that Jim goes to work every day. And Jim is an advertising executive at a high profile firm. (laughs) And they go in and he's like, yeah, I do computer stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, just fool the old guys. He's like, well, yeah, high-res Photoshop batch compositing blows my mind. Whoa, let's have Jim do it. And we find out that Jim is not just a, an advertising executive, but a really good one and a, a trusted voice at this agency. He's like their young go-to guy. So at one point, somebody's like, hey, what do you think about this? I don't know. Does anybody want brown cookies anymore? 
And based on this, they create space cookies that are green and purple to try and get kids to buy it. And it's brilliant to see this character who is, he seems to be just a drinker, a slacker, a jerk, but he's actually really effective, really good at his job. And at one point they're like, oh, wait, what's this? This is your insurance card? Oh, yeah. Oh, we got the plus now. He's apparently this well-paid, well-respected person who is just brilliant at his job. And I love the idea that he seems to be this loser D-bag, but it turns out he's actually the most together person in the whole show. Yeah, subverted. And that, in- yeah, that includes even the adults. I mean, the adults are lost and Jim is still just like, hey, which makes you think that maybe Jim owns the apartment and he, <laughs> and he lets his idiot friends stay there because he likes them. Yeah, maybe. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, my number two should come as no surprise um, because Wait, let me see. what else did the Fleischer brothers animate? Well, so it's not something that they animated, but Batman, oh. the animated series was totally based on the Fleischer style from that time period. And so when I say Batman from the animated series, that's that is a favorite cartoon character of mine because of the way that they did throwbacks to the way the uh, Superman Fleischer was done and uh, and the other things of that time period, it really has a distinct look. And I think if you look at Batman, the animated series, since it's basically contained and I say contained, I mean, you could look at it contained just in the animated series or you could look at it from Batman, the animated series, Superman, um, the Justice League, Dale Justice you. League United, the Batman Beyond. You could encompass forget, all of that. Don't forget the movies that it, all of those. Yeah, all those animated movies. I mean, you could encompass that and you would have the only Batman you would ever need to know. You wouldn't have to read the comics. You wouldn't have to watch the movies or anything. If you really wanted to know what Batman was all about at its heart and was really concise and condensed and, uh, purified, filtered, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, fermented, <laughs> the, the Batman, the animated series character is not fermented, <laughs> not for no, he's not fermented. Uh, the Batman, the animated series is distilled essence of what Batman is. There you go. And so Batman, the animated series, just that character. I mean, you I, you can't point to Batman in these new animated movies and you can't point to Batman Beyond or, you know, not Batman Beyond, but uh, Batman Strikes or any of that stuff. I'm talking right. about that Batman, the animated series character. Beware of the Batman. Yes. Uh, not that one. Uh, but that is the good stuff. And so <laughs> my number two, oh my goodness, people, Superman at number four, Batman at number two. It's going to be number one. What is going to be number one in my top five cartoon characters? We will find out in a moment, right after Matthew tells us his number two. My number two comes from the days of my youth when I was told what it means to be a man. And now I've reached that age that I have a child and I like to show her things that I liked when I was a kid. But I don't force her to love them or else. And I think that's important. She's allowed to hate things that I loved. But one thing she loves that I loved is extremely limited animation uh, came out of Britain. I first saw it as interstitial stuff on Nickelodeon uh, in 1982, 83, 84. And you'd just see it. And then all of a sudden you'd hear the dun, 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 and Danger Mouse would be on your screen. Mm hmm. In little five and ten minute increments of Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse is a superhero with an eye patch and a really cowardly companion and a penchant for puns. 
the villain is uh, Cyrus Greenback, which I think always cracks me up for some reason. You there? Oh, yeah, I'm listening. Okay, I heard a pop like my audio was gone. Oh, no, that's just your your back. Oh, well, that's cool. That's probably no, my son. No, it won't be tomorrow. Shut up. <laughs> but Danger Mouse is extremely limited animation, especially in the early versions. But the joy of the voice actors and the writing and the fun, the silly references and the puns and the stuff really make it amazing. And there's a point where someone is running around. And he's like, I shall dispatch thee. And Danger Mouse says, you leave my patch alone. Get it? <laughs> he's a, an ancient martial artist, and his martial artist is, is called Kung Moggy, which I believe is the name for a kitty cat. But uh, along with Penfold, who is a hamster who wears spectacles mm -hmm. and loves mushroom pizza, yeah. he saves the world from evil repeatedly. At one point, they meet an alien who's Scottish for some reason. Nobody knows why. Um, but as we go through... They start actually getting so popular that they have to add new animation because the five minute bits with the recycled animation and the same things over and over, you see that. And the, even the creators are like, man, we need to draw some new stuff. Danger Mouse has the coolest car, I think, in uh, the 80s cartoon history. Roller skate? No, it's actually a little yellow race car with wings that oh, okay. <laughs> come up. The Mark V. You're thinking of Tom and Jerry. There we go. Yeah, that's that's from uh, Yankee Doodle Mouse. That is a, an also ran. Jerry almost made my list until I had to bump him. But my number two, Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. Apparently there's a 2015, yeah. 2016 revamp that I haven't seen. Yeah, they did that on what? Uh, oh, not on Boomerang. No, it was on uh, it was BBC's on... channel. Oh, was it? I thought it was on the same channel that ran Samurai Jack. That's Cartoon Network. Yeah, that's where I thought they had the the new stuff. I didn't know they had it. I mean, yeah, one it. of our listeners will write in and tell us exactly where to find it. It's on BBC <laughs> Wales. Yeah, uh, it is time for our number ones, and uh, people might be saying, "Stephen, no Porky Pig, no Woody Woodpecker, no." Chilly Willy the Penguin, no Daffy Duck, no doing, Bugs Bunny. Steven? What are you doing, man? Hey, this is my list. If those characters are on your list, that's great. I don't have a problem with that. If Rodrigo or Ashley were here, they might have those people on their list. Uh, they probably have like Thundar. Yeah. They probably have, uh, what's his name, uh, from the uh, Space Rangers, the Space Cowboy Show. <laughs> Brave Star, yeah. Brave Star. Brave Rodrigo Star would, would have Brave Star. He'd have uh, Samurai Jack. And that's cool. I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with any of those. Any I think those. Rodrigo would have the uh, Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but my number one, my number one cartoon character is one that when you watch the movie that this character is in, you're like, wow, this is an animated character that's been around since the 1930s and I've never heard of him. And he's interacted with all these other cartoon characters. And now he's having an adventure where someone's trying to wipe them out. When Roger Rabbit hit the screen, I was totally blown away. I mean, so much so that when the movie came out on VHS, I ruined the tape in the first six months because I watched it so much. The adventures of this rabbit, this cartoon rabbit who's living in a, in a human world where humans and, and cartoon characters live together mm -hmm. is so cool because it is, you know, a murder plot 
that this rabbit is too stupid to really figure out, or eh, he's not really stupid, but his his goal in life is to just make people happy. And he's married to the most gorgeous uh, cartoon character on the planet. And he's got a new detective friend who's going to help him. And the two of them have such funny adventures together that when they finally defeat Dr. Doom or whatever his name is, Mayor, Mayor of Von Doom. Judge, Judge Doom. Judge Doom. It's such a, yeah. it's such a good piece. And the fact that in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that they are able to bring in, this is the only time this will ever happen in history, where the studios were able to sit down and say, oh, you want to put Coco the Clown in? Sure, here's Coco the Clown. Feel free to use him. Oh, you want Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny to be on the screen at the same time interacting? Yes, let us shake hands and let's make this bit of awesome happen. But beyond that, you have Roger Rabbit, who is just a likable fellow. And it's such a good movie that Roger Rabbit has to be my favorite cartoon character of all time. Nice. Who do you have for your number one, Matthew? My number one is actually very recent. And it's another one that I started watching partly because of my daughter. But I came in at a weird point. I didn't, you know, watch the show from the beginning. And cartoons these days actually have through lines and narrative arcs and stories that mean something. It's not like every Super Friends episode ended with everybody back at square one. And laughing. Yeah, like the Truman Show. We're all at uh, position one for our places in the morning. This immediately the show immediately started making changes and making hints and talking about things that clearly are extremely important that we aren't aware of because our perspective is that of a 13 year old boy and 13 year old boys aren't always aware of what are going on with their parents. Even when their parents are extra dimensional rock people with, uh, you know, illusionary bodies, but there comes a point at the end of season one of Steven universe where an evil alien comes to Earth and attacks Garnet, the most powerful of the Crystal Gems, the leader, the one that everybody kind of leans on, the one character who's been really kind of implacable throughout that whole first season, immediately shatters her body and she explodes. That's pretty terrifying. And then they make the revelation that Garnet, my number one, is not merely the leader of the Crystal Gems. She's not a crystal gem, Stephen. She's two crystal gems. Two crystal gems. Merged into one body and for the last 6,000 years has basically been making out with herself every single second of every single day, which is kind of cool. And it really sets up a lot of the mythology of the show almost to where you don't recognize it. You don't realize it. And then when you come around and you realize They've been they've been showing us this since square one Mm -hmm. episode one day one. There are hints as to what's going on with Garnet. But Garnet is fascinating because, first of all, I love the fact that she is, by all accounts, a traditional superhero character. She has a costume, a mask, a code name. She fights evil and she's really, really funny. And Mm -hmm. she has this cool British accent. So So you got me right there. Who does the voice of that? Is that um Estelle is her Oh, name. okay. She's, All right. She's a singer. Yeah. But Estelle's voice is fascinating because Garnet, she's British. It happens. It just sort of happens. You don't mm-hmm. know why. Mm-hmm. But throughout the series, we see these moments where everybody gets their hero bits, but Garnet is, Garnet is like a step above. Yeah. Garnet is amazing. She's like badass. And, yeah. I'm going to take your the, crap. 
the first time Garnet sings is a show stopping moment. And they literally give over almost half an episode to letting Estelle sing Garnet's song. Mm -hmm. And it's just beautiful. You you can find that on YouTube. It's fantastic. Yeah. Garnet episodes. If you see Garnet, sit down, you're in for something. And as we find out, you know, she is a rounded character. She is not the secret implacable person that no one knows anything about. She has doubts. She has weaknesses. She has all of these things about her that you're like, oh, my God, how could I not have seen that from the beginning? But then you realize she's still a kick butt superhero. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And she's also the best mom. Because, you know, Steven has a lot of honorary parents and a father who's not always there because. I don't know. Something He's a rock about star traveling car around, wash, washing cars. Yeah, sure. Like, like you do. Yeah. But my number mm-hmm. one Garnet is, I think one of the most impressive recent characters. Um, you know what I like most about her? What's that? The glasses? She's, she's purple. Yeah. But the character, everything about the character is coded as African-American. Yep. And everything about this character, if you look at her and you're thinking, okay, this is, this is cool. She's the leader. She's the fastest, the strongest. She's the best. And I'm like, yeah. And then I I think about, and how weird is it that all of this is taking place? And I'm reading this as, as this is an African-American woman, even Mm -hmm. though the whole point of the story is that these are alien creatures from another world. You still go through and your brain goes, yep, that's exactly what this is. (laughs) And that. That I love. I love the fact that that is just part of the narrative. It's not something that's shoved into anybody's noses. It's not something that becomes, you know, you don't have to think about it. You just accept it. It is there. And the stories are amazing. And I really love that. Yep. All right. uh, I think we're going to have to do an episode in the future. That's just like our top five cartoon episodes. There you go. Where it's just specifically an episode. So someone needs to suggest that so we can get to it. Uh, well, why don't we do, we'll do that separately of our top five Steven Universe episodes or else <laughs> it'll be a monotonous show for me, I think. No, that'd be fine. You know, you just have to talk about those five episodes. That's that's totally fine. I could think of, you know, three of my top five right now could be Batman the Animated Series episodes, but I know I could fit. Ooh, fish in Heart of of Ice. Heart of Ice is really good. That would probably be my number four. Yeah, or uh, Batman Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, also a good one. Eh, I don't know about that. I would definitely, definitely, in, in like my number two would be the Batman Beyond episode where he sits down. No, it's the Justice League Unlimited where it's like the future episode or whatever, where right, Batman goes right. and sits down with um, one of the, um, um, was she the Ace of Spades? I forget which one she was. The little I think girl, she may have been the 10. The 10, where she has the telekinetic powers and she's going to destroy the entire world. But mm-hmm. Batman just sits down with her and he's like, hey, I'll hold your hand until the end if you want. And she's like, okay. And then that's the end. It's just really, really, really good. It's the most touching Batman moment you will see in any form, I think. So we'll have to do that. Now people know what my number two is uh, in a future episode. But for now, <laughs> listeners, you need to head over to Majorspoilers.com. And you need to, in the comments section, you need to share your top five cartoon characters and tell us why. You don't have to tell episodes. Just tell me why. You know, uh, Bugs Bunny is your favorite cartoon character. And that's great. I mean, I was really debating Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. But then, you know, there's a lot of really crappy Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck stuff. I'm a big 1940s, you know, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck uh, fan. Not so much the 1970s Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck fan. 
Um, Or even 1980s and 90s Space Jam, Bugs Bunny kind of stuff. Not my jam. Um, But uh, if it is yours, that's great. And you can share it with us over at Major Spoilers. Why? Because everybody loves a list. Take care, everyone. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.